Hi, and welcome to another edition of James Short Podcast, Leading and Growing Your Real Estate Business. Well, we've got a little surprise for you today on today's uh, session. Share a little story with you. One of my dreams, one of my goals, and one of my aspirations uh, for the past 10 years was actually to put on a client event <clears throat> like no other, though. So we've, you know, we've done some events over the years and uh, it's been some great success, but this is what wanted to be a big hoo-ha. This wanted to be a big something special. Anyway, I met a, a, a lady called Hannah Sneath from Eventfolio and she was an event planner beginning of uh, last year and uh, she planted the seed of how about you having your own awards night? Mm, interesting, interesting. Anyway, time passed and we sort of went on our ways and she did her stuff, I did my stuff and, and we came back and uh, sort of just after halfway through 2017, she said, well, are we doing it or what? I went, let's make it happen. So within six to eight weeks, we came and we delivered and we kicked some serious butt and we put on our first ever Goals Tribe Awards Night. So what was the Goals Tribe Awards Night? The Goals Tribe Awards Night was the bring together of our tribe, was the bring together of our clients, of our partners, our sponsors, our sponsors, our suppliers, to really celebrate 2017, to really celebrate the year that we've just had and to really acknowledge those people who've done some serious great stuff, so to speak. And so we did that. And this was held in uh, December in 2017, last year. And it was at Dalton House, a beautiful place located in Hyde Park in Sydney, Australia. And it was black tie. And it was one of the best nights ever. So we had over 100 people. We had donations of prizes uh, worth over $50,000, which we aligned to an amazing charity called the good food project now the good food sorry this good school food project now the school food project is a opportunity to go into schools and to work with their canteen managers to provide healthy nutritious food for the youngsters for those in in primary and even secondary school to really um, have healthier options rather than the crap that most canteens sell out there and just to really make a difference to the, the youngsters' lives. You know, even start to growing certain uh, fruits and vegetables in, in the schoolyard. There's so much land there, why not make the most of it? So we, we partnered with them and we raised on the night close to $10,000 for the charity. It was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we had over 100 people, as I said there, which was just huge. And we organized a keynote speaker, uh, which was truly, truly mind-blowing. Now, this guy is the best of the best. This gentleman's name is Guy Leach. And we've uh, got the recording, which we'll be sharing with you over these next couple of sessions of the podcast, uh, because it's an hour presentation, so we've just cut it up into 20-minute into blocks. Guy talks about what it takes to be the best, what it takes to be a leader, what it takes to, to go that extra mile. Now, this guy has won numerous Ironman, world champion Ironman, beach Ironman uh, legend, world champion swimmer, world champion paddler. He, the records that he's got, and it, which he still holds today, is mind-blowing. But how did he get there? How did he really go from good to great? And how did he really be the best and stay the best and what did he do to, to make all that happen so 
Let's get him online. Let's get him. Let's get the recording going. Love to uh, get your thoughts and feedbacks. Send us a message on uh, what you got from Guy. So enjoy the series of Guy Leach, world champion athlete. What it takes to be the best. Let's get into our very special speaker for this evening. An incredible human who looks about 40 years younger than he actually is. He, uh, he won the first ever Ironman Championship and then went on to win another seven. Now, if you don't know what an Ironman Championship is, it's a 3.86 kilometre swim in the ocean, followed by an 180 kilometre bike ride, which is Sydney to Wollongong and back again. And then this is just topped off with a simple marathon. He's won eight of them. He's probably the fittest human in the universe. Please welcome, as you delve into your entrees, the fittest man in the universe, Mr. Guy Leach. <laughs> welcome. All yours. Thank you, Pete. Well done. Well, look, um, I, I wish I'd done the 3.8k swim, the 180k bike, and, uh, and the marathon run, but that wasn't my sport. But good job. It was actually surf Ironman. Surf Ironman. Close. Wrong. Close. Close. Want to start again? No, you, you tell them and then I'll repeat. No, no, there you go. So, so just a quick background on myself. Um, I was a surf Ironman champion. I won the first ever professional Ironman race back in 1984. Um, and it was all based around, I'll around a movie. And, uh, and in that time also I was the world ocean paddling champion. And at one stage I was uh, a marathon swimmer and ranked number one in the world for marathon swimming as well. So that's a little bit of history behind myself and also represent Australia in, um, in the pool and swimming when I was younger um, and also in surf lifesaving and uh, marathon swimming, so three different sports, which, um, which is all good. So good to be here tonight, good to be in a room of high achievers, people that uh, want to be the best they can be. And uh, so what I've changed has asked me to do is give you a few stories and a bit of background into, I suppose, an elite athlete, someone that's uh, been the best in the world in, in how you get there. Also a bit of background in myself and uh, the last 10 minutes, just throw it to the audience and ask some questions if you've got any questions at all. My background after doing um, being a professional athlete, I got into fitness and I uh, was for been fortunate enough to Train people like um, Madonna, train Madonna for uh, the whole time she was out here when she last toured. Um, yeah, that was good fun. Uh, also, Hugh Jackman on one of his movies. Also, trained uh, the Kidmans and, uh, and a few other um, stars in that scene. But um, also, uh, from a sporting point of view, I trained uh, Lane Beachley, the seven times world. Serving champion um, to five of the seven world titles. So I looked after the fitness, I suppose, in some ways, looked after um, some of the high performance piece around the mind, which, uh, which is also so important. So that's sort of a little bit of background of me after I finished competing. Um, just uh, I wanted to go back, just a couple of um, sort of pivotal moments in my life that will make a bit of sense to you and give you an explanation around, um, I suppose, winning. And, uh, and high performance. So, what I was saying before, I, I won the first ever 
professional Ironman race. It was called The Calling Out of Gold. It was all based around a movie called The Calling Out of Gold. Anyone here not heard of The Calling Out of Gold movie? Anyone not heard of it? Anyone, anyone seen the movie? Hands up if you've seen it. Yeah, the rest of you don't see it. <laughs> That's it, movie. It's not that good. Um, but interestingly enough, this is probably unique in the world in that a sport was born out of a movie and it was based around the fact that the script writers needed to take an event at a surf life-saving carnival and a surf carnival all weekend, which was an Ironman race that was there with the boat race and the beach sprint and the, the swim, and turn that into something much bigger for the end of a movie. They had two actors that were brothers and they were competing to be the best in the world against a guy at the time called Grant Kenny, who was the world I mentioned, which was real back in the 80s. So they came up with this far-fetched race where real Ironman could turn up to the Gold Coast and perform. There was $50,000 with the gold bullion thrown on the race. So 100 athletes from all around the world turned up, sort of life-saving people from around Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, the lifeguards in the States, and so on and so on. They all turned up to Australia for this race. And it was a race from Service Paradise to Coolangatta and back. We've all done that drive. You know, when you're running late from service, getting down to cooling and you're trying to beat the traffic, it's a freaking long way, right? So, um, so in 84, in January, in heat, they put on this race that was 46 kilometres, you had to run, swim, paddle a long board, and paddle a sea pipe there and back. Right? This is back when Gatorade hadn't been launched in Australia, sports science probably wasn't a term that was really known or noted, and um, things like uh, Nike or well, actually Reebok hadn't even launched in Australia at that time. So it was a long time ago, there wasn't a lot known around racing over that distance. The most I did at an Ironman race at the Surf Carnival was 15 minutes. And that was about two kilometres the most of racing. This was 46. So just chalk and cheese. Like, and, and you couldn't ask someone about how you would go and do a race like this because no one had done it. So I had no background in, in knowing who to talk to other than just trying to work it out myself. So anyway, I turned up to the Gold Coast at 7 a.m. in front of tens of thousands of people. The uh, Michael Edgley um, PR machine that's behind the movie went into bat and there was like 200,000 people on the coast wanting to watch this race. At one point during the race, I counted 18 helicopters in the air because the movie makers wanted to film the shit out of the whole race, the real race, and then cut that into the actors playing around at the start-finish line while we were out there doing the race for four and a half, five hours. So the whole idea, whole idea was they were going to have some actors there, some fit-looking people that would run down the ramp, go down the beach, and run to the finish line and do all that stuff with a crowd, ready-made crowd, and the real athletes had to go down to cool the over and back and run swim and paddle for that, for that event. So anyway, so. I'm only up here for half an hour before I, start, I uh, get questions from you guys and if I keep going on, this will be the whole time I'm up here. But in saying that, I hit the lead up to two hours, 11 kilometre run to start, five kilometre swim. Prior to that, in my previous life, I was Australian Marathon Swimming Champion, so I was a good swimmer. Swam in the first place and then held the lead from the one and a half hour mark for the next four kilometre run, five kilometre board paddle, and a 23 kilometre paddle back to Surface Paradise on a surf ski. So, get to the finish, I win by a minute and a half, and from that event, a sport's ball. And 
for the next 12, 13 years. Myself and guys like Trevor Hindy and the Mercer brothers would have heard that poor old Teddy Mercer only a few months ago having a heart attack. Um, athletes like that were thrown on television and they became big names in Australia. So for me, um, it was a dream come true because I got to do the thing I loved the most. I became very good at it from all the work I did and uh, it was the golden times of surf lifesaving in Australia because the Ironman was on television on Channel 10 every second weekend over summer. We're household names, there was lots of money, it was good fun and it was a blast. So a couple of things happened before we got a gold on that day that I learnt um, which were based around embarrassment. When I was presented in front of that crowd there on the dais having won, they had myself, a guy from Manly came third, I was from Manly as well, and a guy from Queensland. And they presented third place, second place, and came to me, and I was getting $20,000 for the gold in a bullion. And so for me being 18 years of age at the time, I'd watched a lot of movies, I've seen gold on television, and I thought I'd be getting a truckload uh, in, my, in, my, in my lap, right? So I'm mic'd up, there's a mic in front of me, the mayor of the Gold Coast is presenting me with, with a trophy, and they shake my hand, head of surf lifesaving, that's there, and all the rest of it, and then they hand me the gold. And it was a gold nugget, or gold bar, the size of a Mars bar. And I remember looking at, looking at it, thinking, well, I was happy to win. But I thought, well, that's not 20 grand worth of gold. So, to my mate who was in third place, I turned and I said, well, where's the rest of it? And that went across the whole beach. And every person in that picture there saw perfect so that. So that was my first moment of public embarrassment where I didn't know what to do. And the second one came when the Gold Coast Mayor stood up in front of the crowd and said, Guy Leach has done a magnificent job today. This, this has been incredible. I'd like to present to him the keys to the city on Monday at the town square in Service Paradise and uh, in, a, in a big uh, garden do. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful, right? So there was about 30 guys from Manly that came up for the race. They wanted to go, watch the race, watch us compete and get on the drink and have a good time, right? Go up to Queensland, you know, when you're young or fun from Sydney. Anyway, so we thought that when you got the keys to the city, that meant everything was free in the city, right? So all my mates had cancelled their flights back to Sydney on the Monday because they're staying out for the whole week. They've got no money. They're, they're like, you know, just blokes from the beach that are 18, 17 years of age, not much of a job, nothing like that. So, you know, they all stayed. So, got the keys to the city, gold key. That night we went out on a drink. And I uh, presented that to the bar, to the guy in the bar. After I bought 25 rum and cokes, and he just looked at me and laughed. So that was the other moment when I realised that I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. So anyway, that's the cool thing out of golf. But what it did was it actually created a sport, and to this day it's not as big now as what it used to be, but it's still around based on that moment. But there's another defining moment in my life that probably put me in the direction of sport and put me in the direction of fitness. And um, that was with my dad. And so when I was 12 years of age, my brother and I were in Melbourne. We were there on school holidays. Parents had split up when we were younger and we were visiting dad during the holidays. And we were going to dinner down at St Kilda and it was winter time, I remember it. It was dark outside, about 6.30 at night. And we parked the car and we are walking down towards the beachfront beach there to go to a restaurant for dinner. Walking down the side street, and in front of my brother and I, 
dad has a heart attack and drops. And he's on the ground unconscious, I don't know whether he's dead, wasn't moving, couldn't tell he was breathing, on to all, I don't know, resuscitation, um, no one around. So I sent my 10 year old brother off to the restaurant to go and get help. But I don't know what to do, right? And I even remember now, his socks were brown and there was a crack on the pavement near his head and I couldn't work out whether his head had caused that or whether that was already there. Just the weirdest thing, just stick in your head, you know? So anyway, ambulance comes, they bring Dad back, he's had a quadruple bypass after that and the short of it is I learned that life's short, life's brittle, and this is a guy that dropped in front of my brother and I, I was 42 years of age. So young, right? And you think, oh, well, he's probably not that fit and healthy. When my dad was young, my dad was uh, an A-grade tennis, an A-grade squash player. He was a mile running champion, and he did a year for St Kilda uh, in AFL. So he was a good athlete. But he left, he, he, he hurt his knee, lost a gig to St Kilda, got a job, um, stopped exercising as much, started drinking, smoking, and moved forward to when his kids in front of him as a heart attack. So for me, it was always a case of, I learned from that, Dad survived that, was never really the same, his heart was um, um, damaged from it. So I learned that life's pretty short and it's, it's pretty vulnerable. And even though you look at your dad, you think he's 10 foot tall, bulletproof, that things, that shit can happen and if you don't look after yourself, then, you know, that, that could, can happen. So for me, it was always a case of wanting to be really fit and healthy. And I've got two kids myself, and I'm 53 years of age now, and ironically, my youngest is 11, nearly the same age as me when that happened with Dad. So it, um, that's a little bit, a bit of background into myself, and probably why I was one of those athletes that when I retired from sport, I was very clear about what I was going to do post-competition. When you see so many athletes these days that retire, and we all look at them on television and what they do, and you think, fuck, oh, they're unbelievable. Like, so proud of what they've done for Australia, for themselves, for their sport. You think they're 10 foot tall bulletproof. And then two years later, they're on the front page of the paper, you know, like with all this drama. And they're the exact opposite to what you saw them. And you think, how could that happen? Well, for me, it was always clear that my road to what I wanted to do once I finished competition was as clear as when I was wanting to be the best Ironman in the world. So in saying that, this is a, a good segue to go into a little story. And uh, Quinny, can you tell me when I've spoken for 25 minutes? Because I, I, there's no clock in here, I don't know how long I'm talking for. Anyway, um, for me, I was really, really lucky. So I had good coaches when I was very young, coming from a swimming background into Ironman, and, and even from the age of 10, 11, 12 and up. And at the time, it was a case of really not understanding how good the environment and, what I, and the information I was given, how good it was for me for the rest of my life um, at that age. And I just want to share with you a story around this swimming pool here, because that's where I trained from the age of 12 to when I was 17. And, uh, and I won the call to go to gold when I was 18. Um, and just what high performance really is, how you create it, and how in front of me, over that period of time, I saw people that were good become great, 
And I saw people who are already great become the best in the world. You know, and you know, how many people can say they're the best in the world or something? Well, I saw it in front of me and I saw how it happened and what platform was laid out to create that sort of excellence. You know? And imagine being in a swimming pool and seeing one of the swimmers who you know very well break a world record in training in front of you on time. I saw that every year. Every year I saw that during my tenure in this swimming pool right here. So when I was 12 years of age, I got accepted into the senior swimming squad. At the time, the coach was a guy called Terry Gavakol. Terry Gavakol was the head Olympic swimming coach for the Australian swimming team. Right? He was, he was the ducks and ups. He was the best in the country what he did. And, um, and I went into the senior program as a 12-year-old. Now, you didn't walk into that program because your parents paid for you to go swimming training. You got asked to get into that pool. And you started in lane one. Lane one was where you started, and you didn't get to get into lane two until a coach told you you were ready to go to lane two. But the irony with the swimming pool was that if you got to lane six, then you represent Australia. And you'd be like, well, how can that be? Because every person that made lane six either was in the Commonwealth Games team, the Olympic team, or the World Championships team for swimming, right, for their country. And that's what it was. So anyone, whether there was three in there, five in there, whatever it was, everyone made the Australian team because the process and this pool with the coach and everything that went with it was that good that it created champions. And you went through the process in lane six, you got lane six, you represented the country. So I jumped in at the age of 12 and lane one. And all I cared about was getting to lane six. So I saw it in front of me that that's what you did. Like, you got lane six, you were the king of the world, right? And so it was a year before coach asked me to stay back after the session and he, he, he wanted to say a few things to me. And as I got out of the pool, I thought, yep, I'm going to lane two. You know, I trained hard for a year. I was the youngest when I first got into lane one. There was now also other kids that were 12, I was 13 years of age. I was the best in Australia for my age in swimming. I was ready to go alone too. Right? So Coach um, saw the look in my eyes, the twinkle, and, uh, and he looked at me and he said, Guy, it's not about going up to lane two, mate. And I was like, fuck. I just hit myself without saying to the coach, right? Because you don't say it to the head Olympic swimming coach, you just don't say fuck. Um, then I thought, I'm a freak. I'm going to lane three. I'm totally lane one. I'm that good. I'm going straight to lane three. No one's done. And the history is four no one's done. And he looked at me again. He goes, "It's got nothing about jumping up the lane." So then I was like, "I will." I couldn't work out what the hell's going on. So anyway, he gave me this book. He said, "This will get you to where you want to be." So he gave me this book, and you could call it a diary, a journal whatever logbook, whatever you want to call it, and he opened up the cover, opened up, up the page. He said, first page here, you write down the 10 events you're going to do at the State of Australian Titles in six months' time. And you write down your best time, your personal best time, in that column there. In the next column, you write down what you think you can do in six months' time to the tenth of a second. Didn't have hundreds of a second back then. And then in the next column, I'm going to write down the time I think you can do, and we're going to talk about if there's a discrepancy on the difference in time, we'll have a debate about it, and when we're clear on that time, you have to sign off on it. 
in the colonies. On, on 13 years of age, right? So I go through this process. There was three events out of the 10 that I was like, there's no way I could do that time. We negotiated as best I could with the head Olympic swimming coach and I signed off on it. He said, Guy, you need to know these times off by heart to the 10th of second. If you don't, I will give you extra workload and training. I will ask you at times in the pool deck, 50 breaststroke, six months' time, what's the time that you, we'd agree that you could do? And I have to say, 32 seconds, 0.5. That had to be to the 10th of a second. Did the same process with in a year's time. I had to look forward to a year's time. All the training I was going to do, eight sessions a week, two gym sessions, etc. How I'd see myself in a year's time. Signed off on it again. So then he said, take the book home, write down every day what you did in training, the mileage you did, write down the good things that you saw you did in training, write them down, anything you think of an observation that's worth noting. He said, at the end of the week, when you finish your week's training, you've got to score yourself out of 10. Your effort levels to get closer to your goals. Yep. And then you give me the book on a Saturday, I'll have a look at it over the weekend with the other senior swimmers that have got the book, and on Monday I'll present it back to you and I'll give you a score out of 10 and I'll put down why I think I've given you that number, the good, the bad, and the indifferent. The end then, right? First week's training with this book, I up the level by 25%. I've never trained so hard in a week. I was unbelievable, right? Handed in the book on the Saturday after training. Couldn't wait for Monday to come quick enough, right? I'd give myself a 9 out of 10. Because I thought I was awesome. I thought, can I give myself a 10? No, probably 10's a bit much. I think I'm probably overcooking a year with a 10. I'll give myself a 9. So anyway, Monday comes, do the session, knock out the four and a half, five kilometres, trained hard, gave the book back to a few of the swimmers, got my book, walking down the side of the pool, I've opened it up, and I see a 9 from Coach. I'm like, yes, I got a 9. Then I realised it was upside down, and he gave me a 6. <laughs> and I'm like, the fucker. Right? So anyway, so then it had, in the book, it had, on Monday morning when you turn up the training, you're going to be at pool deck at 4.50 in the morning to stretch. Because we get in the pool at 5am, you got to pool deck at 4.52. One point deduction. On the Wednesday when we did the kicking set, even though you did the main set well, the heart rate set, when you did the kicking set, you goofed off with Freddie, you had a chat with the keyboards, one point deduction. And so on and so on, right? So I thought, oh yeah, well, it was at the pool deck late on Monday, I did goof around on the Wednesday, but that, you know, it sounded kicking with a, with a kickboard. I'll, I'll get better next week. So next week, come. Got myself another nine. I looked to my game again. I wasn't goofing around with a kickboard. I was at pool deck at 4.50 in the AM sessions, did the stretching for 10 minutes, got the pool on time, did the whole thing. Get it back, gives me a six and a half out of 10. And I give myself a nine again, right? So anyway, this went on for 12 weeks. 12 weeks. I was way above the expectation of what the coach thought I could do, and he gave me valid reasons of why I wasn't up to scratch. Still gave me good points. Did the main set well, your techniques got better. I asked you three times on what your, your, your uh, personal best time's gonna be in a year's time for the 100 freestyle. You gave that correctly to me, you filled out the logbook correctly, you've done all those things I've asked you to do, seven out of 10. God, seven out of 10. So anyway, by the time we got to the 12th week, we were both at about 7.5. So what I learned, right, so what I learned in 12 weeks was what I thought was 
good effort and accepted was not good enough. And what I realised was that how I rated myself and how good I thought I was was actually not a fair income assessment of just how good I wanted to be or I needed to be. And I had someone there that I respected that could actually give me fair reason into why I scored, like he scored me like he did. So my expectations came down and I started to realise that the effort I had to put in had to be so much more if I wanted to be the best. Yeah? And I learned that over the period of about 12 weeks. I got to line six at the age of 17, so I got in that pool at the age of 12, and five years later, when I was 17, I made line six and I represented Australia in the pool as a swimmer before I took up line then. And in that time, what I learned, right, was that unless you write down, and, and this, this whole collective group here is about improving, right? So this is what I learned in five years in this environment. So unless you write it down and you own it and you see it and you understand what it is and you know it and you bravely can tell anyone, then it doesn't really count. It's just a bit of fluff, a bit of bubble, you know, a bit of fluff and bubble. If you log it down every day and you take note of it, then you, you set up a sense of urgency within yourself. So every time you go and do something, you're on the score. Or you've got to, you've got to score, you've got to get better, you've got to improve. Every session I did, I had to get better. I couldn't get out of a training session and not feel like I've completed it to an ability where I'm going to improve, right? And the other thing was that unless someone of note who I respected came back to me with feedback every week, then I wasn't even sure whether I was actually doing it well enough. So I needed that. I needed someone else at a level of someone I could actually trust and I was, um, that I was accepting of their information. I needed that as a springboard to get the best out of myself. Now, when I did Ironman, I did that until I was 35 years of age. And I kept a logbook through from the age of 12 when I first got it from Coast Gallicol through to 35 years of age when I retired from professional sport. And if I put those books on top of each other, they'd hit the roof. And, it, you know, and I reached the top of my sport and everything I did. In those long-distance Ironman races you saw before, I never lost a race over two hours in my career. And I did about 30 of them. In surf, where I turned up injured sometimes, I turned up sick, and I got the job done. And you're like, how did you do that? Well, I wasn't the most talented, you know? Might not have been the prettiest, close, but not the prettiest. Um, but it was because my preparation was so good that I was 10% above the rest of the field in how I prepared for an event. So even if I was 5% down with an injury or sickness, I could still beat the field because I had 5% up my sleeve on them. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because I, I, I'd monitor myself against other athletes. I'd go under other groups and train at times. I'd see how my opposition were doing things. I'd, I'd be willing to change and tweak things by 6 or 7% at any one time. I always looked at my weakness and wanted to make it stronger. It was a collective group of so many things. My team I had around me in an individual sport numbered about 100. And I had the best team because I'd make sure of it. I had the best physio, the best manager. I had the best training group in swimming, the best training group in kayaking. You name it, right through. So there's a lot that you can do to be better, and it's a constant 24-7 no-gi. Um, I think I've spoken for 
my full um, my full amount. Yeah. So does anyone have any questions at all? Happy to answer anything. I can talk about Trani Madonna and the fact that she was like a lead athlete and how she um, and how she acted um, right through to anything you'd like to know. Yeah. Please say it was the guy Leach for starting. Do you reckon I oversold you a little bit? That's all good. A little bit? It was good. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was great research on my part. Any any questions for Guy? And I will. Yes. Who are you pointing to? That man with the hand up. Not you. You. Hello. What's your name? Will. Hi, Will. Any questions for Guy? Guy, what's your resting heart name, mate? Um, so the, the, the interesting thing with the, with the heart rate is, I'll tell you, but interesting two things with the heart rate, it's um, the measure of fitness is not your resting heart rate, it's actually when you take your heart rate to maximum and if you take it a minute later, what, what is the difference between the two and so when I was at my fittest, um, the, the gap over a minute was 100 beats, so I could get it down 100 beats in a minute, so that meant that if I for instance, if I was on a ski paddling in and my heart rate was 170 and I caught a wave and stopped paddling and I was going flat out to get on the wave, I could drop the heart rate from 170 in the space of 15 seconds to about 120. So that was an advantage. But the, the interesting thing with the resting heart rate was that when I, and, and because of the logbooks, I had a lot of data, a lot of information. At the end of every season, I'd go back, like you do in business, go back through numbers and, uh, and, and start evaluating what my strengths, what my weaknesses were, and how I could could improve. I always talk about the seven and eight percent. So when you when you're the best in the world, um, I work it out from a numbers point of view. If you didn't improve at seven or eight percent, um, then someone would pass you. It was always someone that would, would take your mantle. You were never the best for long enough unless you just you, you covered every angle. And so for me, before a race, you do heavy training, and I monitor my heart rate in the mornings waking up. So when I was in heavy training, doing five hours training a day, six days a week, my, my resting heart rate in the morning was in the 60s. Um, and so I was overworked, my body was tired, right? And so when I went taper, I normally taper leading into a race like the calling out a goal for 10 days. And what tapering means is you'd, you'd reduce the workload over a period of time. So when you got to the last day before the race, you're literally doing, instead of five hours training, you're doing half an hour a day. So you're just fine-tuning, getting yourself sharp, your body ready to race, ready to fight. And you have to, you have, to have your energy. So you, you reduce gradually over time. But what I used to do was monitor my morning heart rate. So in the first two days, my heart rate would drop from the 60s down into the 50s with the, the resting heart rate due to the, the reduced amount of workload. Um, for the next seven days, it is sit, it is sit in the 40s and around the 40 area. And then with two days to go, if I get if I get it to 35 or 36 resting heart rate in the morning, I won the race um, and didn't lose. So the, the perfect taper for me was reducing the workload and monitoring the, the heart rate to get it down to under 40. And that 35, 36 number was the one that was the, the money number because when I tracked back on races I won, that correlated to the, um, the resting heart rate. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't know what it is right now. About 55, I'd say, right now. What an incredible answer. Guy, what are you working to achieve right now, and how do you keep yourself accountable? So, so I, I learned that, um, 
But when you're, when you're um, trying to be the best in the world at one thing, normally other areas of life are um, unstable. It, um, so when I was fit, and you know, and I won events like uh, 60 Minutes around this two-day event, um, the Channel 9 and the issues of support put on back in the, the 90s, and they had 10 events over two days, brought all these athletes in, and, and I won that event, beat all the athletes, the swimmers, the runners, the footy players, and all the rest of it, and they showed it on uh, 60 Minutes, but, but I wasn't healthy. I get sick a lot because I was so fit and doing so much work that my immune system was always teetering on, you know, coming down with a, a cold or whatever or getting some sort of injury. So that was an area that, you know, when I retired, I wanted to sort of boost her up. And there was other areas like relationships and, and whether it's financial because you're not having your eye on the prize with that because you're wanting to win races, that was out of, out of, um, out of balance. So for me, when I got out of sport, I wanted to be better across everything. And I sort of would go and really literally look at about seven or eight areas of my life relationships, money, you know, my mental health, um, you know, my family, friends, you know, all those sort of things, and really rate it out of 10, like I used to do with my swimming, with, uh, with training, and then look at those areas and go, well, I can get a bit better here. So for me, that's more what I do now. I still train an hour, hour and a half a day, um, still fit, all the rest of it, but I've got better in those other areas, you know, and with, with money and business, which is what you guys are uh, you know, into a fair bit. I, I got good across those, those elements of building a good team, building goals every, every uh, month. And it was really easy for me in business in that, you know, like winning a race is a number and running a good business is a number, like you know, what, what you produce at the end of a month, a quarter, a year in income, um, but also looking at your team and all the other areas that go with it. So this, it's very similar in sport as what it is in business. And I've had a lot of success across the line. And even back when I was um, doing Ironman, I sort of hedged my bets and set up eight surf shops, for instance, back in the 80s and the 90s, and then sold them to Billabong, um, amongst a bunch of other things. So, um, yeah, so for me, for me, it's been more about balance. Yeah. Doesn't it get stressful trying to better yourself all the time? My kids aren't like that at all. It's funny, isn't it? It's, um, you know, the, thing, the, the one thing I didn't talk about, like, like I mean, I won't be here all night, but the last thing I, you know, the, the thing for me, the fire for me, like, you got to say, well, why would he go and do that? And why would he put himself under so much pressure and, and train that much? And, you know, just, he's, he's, uh, he's not normal, this bloke up here, you know, all those things, because I've done stupid things like I've swung from the South Island of New Zealand to the North Island. I swam all day in freezing water with no cage. You know, when I was younger, dozens of things, things that you think are, are quite weird, right? But for me, it was always about finding something you love to death and then, like, and then just build a platform around it to prepare for it and do that that well that you can't get beaten. And when I was nine years of, of age, I won my first swimming event at the Australian Swimming Titles. And I won the 100 breaststroke. And the feeling when I touched the wall and I won and broke the record, um, the national record, the feeling was so good for me that I've just chased that the rest of my life. It's been quite weird, like, you know, drug addicts will tra chase the feeling and get more drugs and all the rest of it and what have you. But for me, it was always a case of that feeling of winning when you've done the work and you've sacrificed and you put it into something you love, the feeling was never greater. And so when I won an Ironman race or a calling out a goal when there was 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people on a beach, 
television cameras, I've sacrificed six months of my life, I prepared properly for it, put my foot on the line, confident and brave in what I was doing, and I got the, I got the result. I, I, couldn't, I can't beat that feeling. Even now I don't get it because I don't put myself in that situation because I've retired, and that, that's the one area that I've lost um, now, being older, that I don't get that high anymore. Yeah. So it is 100% nurture if you didn't have those experiences early on. I just think that um, I, I just think that you know anyone in the room here that's good at what you do, there, there's a, a simple element that if you don't like it, well then you know if the people that don't like what they do don't end up being very very good at what they do, and you know and just just the one common denominator on that is that you just don't put the length of time into something to get good at it, and I mean it is extreme the swimming pool environment that I was in. And what we have, but you've got to remember as a 12 year old, I knew nothing else. That was my reality. And uh, because my dad was in Melbourne, that guy, that coach in Sydney was really my dad. And I saw him twice a day in those days. And, uh, and I saw him from the age of 12 to when I left school. And, um, you know, so that was my reality, and that was real. I went to school to sleep and rest just to get back to training because I, I loved it that much. You know, it's just, it's just what it was, yeah. And Iron Man, and Iron Man replaced that. And, uh, you know, it's just, um, you know, I've just been very, very fortunate to be able to find things that were so engaging for me that um, that I was happy with the effort. Yeah. Fascinating. I would love to chat all night, but we have to leave it there. Please thank Mr. Guy Leach. Well, there you go. Guy Leach, what a true, amazing athlete leader. What an incredible guru, huh? What a freak he is. So, uh, there we have it. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of James Short Podcast Leading and Growing Your Real Estate Business. Hopefully you can take some of those key learnings and implement into your business straight away. Have a great day and bye for now.